This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. It was made public recently that ride-sharing service Uber had been hacked about a year ago, and they paid a ransom to have the hackers destroy the data. Some 57 million people were affected by this. This news has gotten many consumers mad as well as angered at a few security experts. And there are still many questions to get answers to, like how did it happen and why did they pay the money in the first place? To discuss these questions and more, we are joined here in studio by John Paul McDuffie, Management Professor and Director of the Program on Vehicle Mobility and Innovation here at the Wharton School. And joining us on the phone, Andrea Matuishan, Law Professor and Computer Science Professor at Northeastern University. And she's also an affiliate scholar at the Center for Internet and Society at Stanford University, as well as a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council. John Paul, as always, great to see you. Thank Thanks you. for coming in. Good to be here. Andrea, great to have you as always. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Andrew, start with you. The hack part of the story is a big one, but the paying of the ransom really is catching a lot of eyes. When, when you saw that part of the story, what was your reaction? So that is the part that is perhaps, perhaps most surprising to observers because it goes against the intuition that if you pay for criminals to discontinue their victimization of you, you're setting up the wrong incentive structure for their next potential compromise and for other victims. Other companies such as HBO and Netflix, in situations where they were targeted by attackers who were holding information hostage, they chose not to pay the ransoms and took their lumps accordingly. So it is a perhaps counterintuitive move for a company of Uber size to agree to pay this kind of hush money and uh, if you categorize it that way or ransom if you categorize it differently uh, um, for this kind of uh, security problem to be uh, dealt with. Uh, quietly. And and you'll notice I didn't say to to make it go away because it definitely hasn't gone away. And the facts here will come out uh, as the the case with Waymo proceeds and Judge Alsip, uh, in particular, who is the the judge overseeing this case, has a reputation in the legal community for being a technologically sophisticated judge. So Judge Alsip, I would expect to get to the bottom of the facts and for us to be revisiting this question and this conversation in a few months. John Paul, from from your background in the auto industry side of things, this has to be extremely damaging for Uber, which has obviously had a run of missteps, quite a few of them, over the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I suppose we've become at least a little bit accustomed to seeing the headlines about uh, data being hacked, even at very sophisticated companies. I mean, I think when it happens at a at a company we praise and value for being, you know, one of the most technologically sophisticated companies, it's maybe a bit more surprising. But you're right, it fits into a pattern um, of problems at Uber, many of which do involve deception. And um, so here it's the hiding of the hacking for a year that perhaps would jump out 
uh, and goes along with the deception headline of today about the lawsuit with Waymo, where there's further indication of a of a clandestine unit yep. which was devoted to um, you know uh, undermining competitors, blocking government efforts to regulate, et cetera. Um, each of these, I think, are just going to chip away at Uber's reputation and its hold on its customers. Part of this also is the timing of this and the hack being a year or so ago. Uh, that still puts it under the purview of Travis Kalanick when he was the CEO of the company. So, again, here's not only on the company itself, but here's another element, John Paul, on Travis Kalanick himself. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, Uber is trying to bring in this infusion of of uh, new cash, a big investment from SoftBank, and apparently one of the conditions was some governance changes that would weaken Travis's hold on the board and his role in the company. And, you know, I think it, it, it appears from the news accounts that he's been trying to work his way back into um, – uh, you know, a role of influence again. Uh, each of these revelations about him uh, certainly makes it harder for him to do that. But, you know, the, the new CEO also uh, apparently was told about this right after he took uh, the position. And it took him, you know, whatever, a couple of months to uh, get ready to release it to the public. So, yeah. you know, we know it's not easy to change a culture overnight. And so sure. if these things are deeply, deeply in the Uber DNA, um, you know, what's really going to change it? Well, Andrea, let me ask you, and seemingly you kind of alluded to this a second ago, but uh, does Uber continue to be a target and maybe even a bigger target because of the fact that they that they paid the ransom? Andrea? It's possible that they've uh, potentially put out a welcome mat for uh, other attackers to engage with them, particularly in light of uh, the reported uh, basis for some of the security compromises that the company has suffered resulting from security errors, such as the allegation that keys for uh, uh, some of the, the, the keys that allowed for compromise were left out on a publicly accessible um, site. And the Federal Trade Commission has been investigating Uber for their security practices, and Uber reached a settlement with the Federal Trade Commission recently. And my instinct is that some of these revelations about the compromise are coming out with this timing because Uber was due and is due to provide to the Federal Trade Commission an initial assessment disclosing the extent of the security process challenges that they need to remedy. And that report is due in the next month or so. There was, a, uh, I believe, a 90-day or 180-day window on the submission of that initial report. The settlement right. agreement was reached in September, if memory serves. So uh, the, the timing of these revelations also are nudged, no doubt, by those legal obligations. And the FTC has stated that this most recent information arising from uh, the practices on counterintelligence, on competitors, et cetera, are on its radar, and the, the breach specifics are also on its radar. So the FTC will undoubtedly be revisiting its uh, settlement agreement and Uber's compliance with its uh, agreed-upon terms.
Your questions are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or you can also tell us, as we asked at the top of the segment, does this revelation of Uber being hacked and covering the information up and then paying a ransom, does this change your mindset on using Uber? Your comments are welcome. 844-942-7866. I have a hunch that there are going to be quite a few people out there that may very well delete the Uber app from their phones because of the fact that they know that this is a pattern of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of, of work here, John Paul. Yeah, I heard an interesting um, uh, anecdote, I guess you'd say, from uh, Stanford Business School that a professor asked a class of MBAs if at an earlier point in some of the Uber scandals when some of the sexual harassment uh, stuff was being revealed, whether any of them were deleting, I don't know if it was deleting their apps, deleting their accounts, and um, over half of the women said yes, and virtually none of the men said yes. So that... Uh, perhaps is not entirely surprising given the, the allegations of the time. But this is a different kind of, uh, of, of deception which raises questions about you know, Uber's uh, both ability to handle the data security issues but also the wisdom of how it handled you know, with, with paying the ransom, as Andrea said. So you know, each of these scandals potentially affects a different set of customers who yeah. might have been willing to forgive Uber. And, you know, a narrative about Uber in the early days was, well, you know, they're doing some something completely new. Innovators have to break some eggs. Um, they can't just follow all the rules. And I think there was a lot of willingness to say, okay, this this is not only something that maybe has to happen to bring about big innovation, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. And I think the flipping of the things that looked good about Uber in those days to making them look progressively bad including many countries that are um, in one way or another or cities that are banning or restricting or in other ways um, doing, you know, negative regulatory things against Uber, partly because Uber flaunted the rules. Do you think this impacts partnerships that Uber has developed, especially in the last couple of years? I'm thinking right off the bat, uh, Volvo, they announced recently a, a partnership with Volvo uh, to have uh, potentially autonomous vehicles within Uber's fleet here in, in the next few years. How do you think that plays out? Well, you know, Volvo Car is now owned by Geely, a Chinese company. The Chinese are clearly wanting to be leaders in uh, autonomous vehicles, in AI, in many of these new areas. It's a huge contract and a huge publicity thing for Volvo to get the first Uber contract. Yeah. So I doubt it will weaken that partnership. But um, I think we could flip it around. You know, Google and Uber were very close in the early years. Google invested in Uber at the beginning. They shared a uh, there was a board member. Um, but now all the Google and Waymo investment is going to lift. So I think there's both the potential to break off things with Uber, but there's also a vast amount of partnerships, investment, customer yeah. flowing into Lyft, their main competitor, um, which is gaining ground in virtually every city by double-digit percentages. Andre, you mentioned the FTC and uh, with your background working there. Uh, I'd be interested to get your opinion, and John Paul and I touched on this briefly before we started this, is the fact that realistically we're talking about this as a kind of a U.S. and Canada story, but realistically this is a global story. Uh, there was a report that came out 
earlier today that that uh, by Reuters that said 2.7 million people were affected in Great Britain because of this hack. Now I don't know if that's on top of the 57 or if that is part of the 57 million. Uh, but I would imagine the FTC is obviously doing a lot of due diligence, but they may very well be talking with other agencies around the world about this. Yes, this is definitely an international story, and undoubtedly EU regulators and UK regulators will be aggressive in investigating the specifics of how the the breach happened, uh, particularly because of the reputational issues that uh, we have alluded to already. And that is perhaps the unfortunate, unforced error of this company's story from my perspective, because the, the product that they're offering, the ability to connect a physical space need for a uh, driver and the physical location of where the the driver is and the human is in a streamlined manner, that was a meaningful improvement to the lives, especially of business travelers, um, at the time that created a very loyal initial user base. So the product and service that Uber was offering was meeting a real need, and it was such a strong product that the, uh, I can only call them unforced errors of some of the bull in China shop tactics that Uber used with regulators as it entered new markets, Mm -hmm. with consumers and the way it responded to some of the consumer complaints, with um, the handling of the most recent security incident, with the potential uh, intellectual property issues that are alleged to have uh, resulted in uh, possible violations of of law, including the uh, DOJ looking into allegations per the request of the the judge in the Waymo case. We have uh, a culture that uh, I wouldn't say innovated first and and asked questions second, but broke the rules first and asked questions second. And, and it was not necessary because of the strength of their product, which is which is unfortunate. But that's something, John Paul, that, that we have talked about on this show, is this kind of idea of going ahead and making the innovation and worrying about the rules later. And that has come up on a couple of occasions, and it's part of the reason why there have been instances in Uber specifically where they have run into trouble with you know, taxis in, in various cities here in Philadelphia, New York, other places as well. It, it's just going ahead like the old bull in the China shop and worrying about the other pieces to it later. Yeah. And I think, you know, we have seen a bit of this same kind of story with Airbnb, another noted innovator, but yeah. Uber seemed to persist um, longer and perhaps had a, appeared to have a more arrogant uh, view they grew extremely quickly, as everybody knows, fueled by a lot of venture capital investment. And I think perhaps the feeling was if we simply push through any of this early flack that we're getting, establish ourselves as the dominant you know, ride-hailing service uh, and get close to monopoly status so we can then start making tons of money, we'll sort everything else out later. Right. And 
of course, it wasn't quite as easy as they thought. They did face competitors in many markets. Often the local favorite did rather well um, versus them, and that has caused them to pull out of certain countries altogether. Yeah. Um, so, and, and it's not clear. Everybody assumed this would be a winner-take-all network effect kind of market. I'm not sure it will be. I, I think there's, there's probably going to be room for two or three competitors in virtually every market. So does the Uber business model and what its investors are expecting of it work if it doesn't get to that monopoly position? The kind of desperate push to just keep you know, subsidizing, uh, getting rid of competitors, ignoring regulators, yeah. I think is connected to um, maybe some flaws in that initial uh, vision. Which is probably one of the reasons why, Andrea, you get the sense that we are going to see these types of instances brought up uh, in front of congressional committees more and more as we move forward. Yes, and that is perhaps a key cultural difference between the culture of moving fast and breaking things of the Valley and the long memory of regulators and uh, 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 judges and and legislators on the the local level. Uh, Reputational effects follow you from incident to incident. And so the city of Chicago is now suing Uber in connection with this breach, partially, undoubtedly, because they kept Uber on their uh, on, on their screen of sorts. They kept Uber in their sights because Uber had uh, handled the entry into the Chicago market in an inelegant way. And so there was uh, an inclination toward uh, keeping a close eye on them. And when something went wrong, and Illinois has a relatively strong data breach notification statute, statute the opportunity for legal action has presented itself accordingly. I guess one of the questions that a lot of of consumers may ask as well, and and we welcome your comments at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866, is I'm assuming we know that all of this data that was, was hacked uh, I, I guess we assume that it is back in the hands of Uber or it is destroyed so that, uh, you know, it cannot be used in, in a negative light, Andrea. We shall see. Um, one of the uh, unfortunate or fortunate, depending on where you sit in the ecosystem, realities of data compromise and working with attackers is that attackers are inherently untrustworthy. So uh, whether the data has indeed been deleted as promised uh, is not something that uh, it is likely Uber was able to fully verify. Um, And this timing is particularly uh, challenging for Uber in light of uh, the apparent run-up to a potential uh, IPO uh, in 2018 or 2019, and as additional transparency requirements from the Securities and Exchange Commission will kick in, assuming Uber does go public, right. uh, these kinds of legal choices will face scrutiny, scrutiny not only from regulators, but also from the public as investors and their counsel um, will be scouring Uber's filings. Initially, it'll be it's, it's S1, it's, it's initial document, but then with its quarterly and annual reports, uh, Uber will need to develop a culture of, of 
being comfortable with uh, review from the outside and with a greater degree of transparency um, or the, the suits that will arise because of its um, status as a public company eventually uh, will be another source of big ticket liability for the company. Yeah, the um, Andrew's example of Illinois, I'm sorry, Chicago, um, moving on Uber in this case, uh, reminded me of one of the things I read in some of the background of this hacking story that Uber was caught in a data breach in New York State in like 2014, so you know earlier in their history, and they were immediately fined twenty thousand dollars. So twenty thousand dollars to a company that at least uh, a couple of months ago was valued at eighty-seven. Um, billion uh, is uh, obviously trivial, but I guess at that point um, it was a small standard fine applied without suspicion or without, um, you know, I, I guess the point is now Uber is facing lawsuits from cities. They have civil and criminal investigations at the U.S. level. They have investigations going on in the EU. They have investigations going on in the U.K., I mean, they have riled up <laughs> both the regulators and the the legal uh, entities of many, many countries and uh, agencies now to be on alert and watch for the next thing that fits the pattern. Yeah. And it makes it much more likely that aggressive action is legal and regulatory action is likely to be taken. I mean, I was struck by the fact that the judge in this uh, lawsuit with uh, between Waymo and Uber uh, basically said yesterday, uh, we can't believe a single thing that the Uber lawyers are saying. Um, I thought that was a really striking <laughs> thing for a judge yeah. to say in the middle of a of, of a trial, and it reveals, you know, a, a deep level of suspicion and uh, mistrust, perhaps earned. Yeah, Andrea, I, I found it interesting in in the notes about this hack uh, that apparently one of the ways that Uber uh, felt like it was uh, doing a positive service for not only its consumers, uh, the people that uh, use Uber to get around towns, but for the drivers as well, is that they were offering free credit monitoring and identity theft protection. Uh, okay, that may be nice, but I, I you know, that doesn't exactly, I think. Uh, go the extra mile that I think a lot of people would expect Uber needs to go at this point. Yes. Uh, I think most people would agree with your analysis of that. Uh, although this default offering of, of credit monitoring and identity theft protection is quite common when companies experience a, a breach, um, there is certainly a vocal chorus in uh, the world of law to nudge the default of consequences higher. And um, particularly when you're a company that does not have a reservoir of goodwill with its user base and with regulators, doing the bare minimum of what is deemed uh, acceptable does not instill confidence. It does not win back any of the trust that has been lost because of this incident and the prior incidents that have eroded that trust. Um, so certainly, uh, um, I think it is the general opinion in uh, the legal academy, at least, that um, Uber is uh, likely to face um, legal sanction from regulators and uh 
that this sanction may help re-socialize the management teams inside the company toward a culture of uh, self-scrutiny and stronger ethical self-analysis. Seemingly, it feels like, John Paul, that that not only is Uber dealing with issues right now, but they're going to be dealing with issues in court for quite some time to go. Yeah, I think um, that's clearly true. And and the the impact on the company, um, we do know that one thing that helps with culture change is a deep crisis. Uh, is all of this experience within Uber as a deep existential crisis, like we may fail as a company? Um, I don't know. They still are... Um, have dominant market share, who, and and the f- people who've been around from the beginning may, at some level, believe that this too will pass and we'll move on to world domination. Um, <laughs> but maybe you know, people have th- there has been some people have been fired, other people have left, new people are being hired. Uh, the board has changed, the governance structure is changing. There are new investors coming in. All these things together may powerfully create that sense of crisis. But the other thing that's often needed is a persuasive vision of. Uh, okay, we thought we were going to be successful with moving fast and breaking things as our entire approach. Um, what's going to make us successful um, in the future? I do think of Airbnb where there's at least quite a bit of evidence that they've been working carefully with cities to uh, both collect taxes but also deal with sensitivities that have come up around the way Airbnb has been used. And so they seem to have somehow gone through a maturation process to realize they're better off engaging in that process even proactively yeah. to continue to have public support rather than continuing to break things. How how significantly do you think this ends up hurting Uber and, and obviously all of these things? I, I mean, are we looking at, at, at a company that still has an unbelievable valuation? Uh, they, are, they are a wanted entity by a lot of people, yet... 57 million of them seemingly had their data compromised because of of, uh, of how they approach their business. Yeah. Well, a lot does hinge on that opening question that you put out to listeners. Uh, will this cause people to stop using Uber? A lot of that may have to do with what alternatives they have. So right. it certainly creates a big opening for competitors like Lyft, as we've discussed before. If Lyft can you know, provide a, a plausible alternative at similar prices, Um, I don't see why people wouldn't um, switch or just freely use both rather than maintaining any loyalty um, to Uber. You know, Uber has also, uh, at least this was a strong statement of of the past CEO, Kalanick, said um, self-driving vehicles are uh, kind of the the future of our business model. If we Mm -hmm. can't do that and do that first, uh, we're toast because continuing to pay drivers is is not going to be allow us to be dominant. Um, I could see this hurting Uber in any number of ways with respect to being first with autonomous you know robo taxis could hurt them getting talent it could hurt them getting regulatory support um, partnerships already you've got Google doing big partnerships with Lyft where they and, and Waymo with Lyft where they might have done it in the past with Uber yeah so um, I think you know the the, sh- the short term is going to be do consumers get turned off? Does it give competitors more um, of a foothold? And the longer term is, does it impede them in this rush to the self-driving future? Andrea? I think those points are spot on. And in particular, because of this hope for a self-driving future, these reputational and trust issues that we keep coming back to really matter. Because when a consumer 
is faced with trusting a machine with her safety and getting from point A to point B without uh, fear of malfunction or compromise. And the result is potentially physical dismemberment and death because we're talking about a car here. The consumer will analyze, among other things, which company should be trusted with fleet maintenance, with uh, doing adequate security testing on their cars, with uh, caring about the consequences of malfunction in their vehicles. And when you have a reputation for not being rigorous about security and not being welcoming to consumer feedback and responsive to that feedback, and instead just sort of taking the lump of legal consequences, when code increasingly kills people in certain situations because of the arrival of autonomous cars and other types of um, potentially life-threatening products make their way into the the market, this element of trust and branding uh, as it applies to those choices by consumers will become increasingly relevant and determine the winners and losers in terms of uh, the arrival of autonomous vehicle. Great having you both with us. Andrea, thank you for your time on the phone today. My pleasure. Thank you. John Paul, great seeing you again. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.